Hello and welcome to the White Shorts podcast. I'm Bella Cartman and I'll be your host for the series. Now, this podcast came about from conversations I've had with players, coaches and fans of women's football and women's sport. There is so much being discussed on a daily basis about challenges faced by female players, the improvements we would like to see in the game and how there are these amazing women quietly working away to improve our clubs and associations for the women of tomorrow. With the recent explosion in women's sports, I sought out a platform where I could learn more about these incredible women and what they're doing for women's football in New Zealand. What I found should have come as no surprise, but this platform did not exist. So, the White Shorts podcast was born. This podcast aims to bring to light the work being done by these incredible women, along with highlighting some of the adversities they have faced by being involved in the game. Each week, I'll be joined by a player, coach or manager from around New Zealand for a fireside chat. We'll talk about their motivations, their journeys and crucially, what they've learned along the way. So come join us and we hope these discussions inspire ones of your own. Morning all and welcome to episode 6 of the White Shorts podcast. Today we are joined by Izzy Coombs who is the head sports scientist for the Wellington Phoenix Development Academy. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I'd say lead female sports scientist. We do we still do still have a head of head of sports science who sits a little bit above. Me, yeah. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've got a super interesting episode, and I'm very excited for this one. So yeah, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. It's exciting. I mean, listening to to the previous few podcasts, um, I was like, wow, we've really needed something like this you know, out there for young players to kind of learn and just see what it's like in these top environments. Um, I think we didn't have anything like this when I was growing up and the struggles I went through and having been able to relate to it in some way would have been so beneficial, you know, oh, moving forwards. So I think it's great that you've been doing this and, oh. and I'm excited to listen to more episodes as they come out. Well, exactly. I mean, it's all a credit to you guys coming on because you guys are the ones with the interesting stories and like experiences. So yeah, no. It's just providing the platform. Um, but, I mean, yeah, as always, let's get the listeners getting to know you a bit. So what is your first memory in football? Yeah, I was I was struggling with this because I feel like I can't remember that yeah. far back. Like, what is my first footballing memory? I think all I really remember is being kind of five years old, running yeah. around the pitch with a bunch of boys. I think maybe there was one girl on the, one other girl on the team yeah. and you're just like, you know, bees of the hive, all just running around with the ball, like trying to score. Um, and I think the only other thing I can remember is just like getting my first pair of boots and just being so excited yeah. and then going home and just practicing in the garden, like Yo. the whole afternoon, um, <laughs> just like frothing at, at the boots. So yeah, yeah. yeah oh, amazing. just being back when I was five years old, just, just playing yeah. good old young kids. Yeah, well, I mean, because I, I've, yeah, I'm, I started at five as well, but it's been quite interesting hearing some of the girls who, you know, started like eight or nine, yeah. like a bit later in life. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting to like see that you can start at different ages, but mm. kind of reach that very much top level. Yeah, I mean, I think we didn't have an option to play like netball or anything right. like that at that age. So it was like football or yeah. Nothing like yeah. you know, not a winter sport, so it was like, well, we all just played football, and like some people stick with it and some people don't. I yeah. just was one of those young girls that just stuck with it. 
oh, I not only stuck with it, but absolutely killed it, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what is your career in Freddie? Because it's been a pretty impressive one so far, and it's probably going to continue to be pretty impressive. Well, you say so far. If I think of playing, I think my days are done, <laughs> and I've tried to come back and, like I said, play this year with you yeah. guys at Wellington United, and it just, like, hasn't really worked with, yeah. like, my schedule now and kind of having a job and doing a PhD and whatnot. Um, so I think... I might have really hung the boots up for good, um, except for a little bit of five-a-side. But, um, yeah, I guess going back, I yeah started at five and just carried on through, um, kind of played, I suppose. I think me and my friend Taylor Christensen, we played reps with the boys at, like, under oh, yeah. 10, which yeah. was actually kind of weird because there was no other girls you know and there was no girls rep team at that time so we were like well we'll just try for the boys team got in the b team and then the year after they had the first like under 12 girls team yeah so i guess that's where it all kicked off in terms of the girls side of things progressed through all the ybop stuff and then they used to have ntc Mm. and that was kind of like the national talent center where they picked your under 17s world cup squads more like your, I guess, wider squads. Yeah. Um, so we'd go to those like every holiday. And then I guess from that age, you're like the stress of fighting for a position. And we'd have Paul Temple, funnily enough, yeah. was like the under 17 coach at the time. And I think he would come in. I remember just being so scared. Like this guy's like watching us. Like he's going to be the under 17 coach yeah. for like the cycle before mine. And he, you know, he had his eye on players. There was players that were getting called in. Yeah. And I think at the time I was pretty small just like yeah hadn't grown at all didn't really ever grow um but yeah just probably struggled a bit physically so I didn't really get progressed at that age and I remember feeling really like knocked back even though yeah. I was know, gonna say because how, how old would you be at this age when you oh, say like you didn't get progressed 14 or something yeah, 14 so or 15 <laughs> yeah well and truly punching above your weight yeah and it wasn't of... even my cycle but I think <laughs> I just like had these expectations that like, I want to be the player you know yeah. that, that's ahead of the game and getting picked and we had um, Daisy Cleverly, who's still in the Ferns, like she was playing in that in that cycle, and Martine Pukatapu, and then Taylor, my best mate Taylor went. So I guess there was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you have that competition with your friends, and you're like, I missed out, but really, it wasn't my chance yet, you know. Um, so I ended up getting called in for the, I suppose, the next like my actual cycle for under 17s, and we actually had Yitka was our head coach. No way! Yeah, oh my gosh. yeah. So it's weird to see her yeah, kind of back, back here. Um, and just like seeing her now, I don't know, she was like, wow, you're just like so different. Like when, you know, 10 years after she coached us. Um, but honestly, she was like one of my favorite coaches. Like yeah. created such a cool atmosphere, even at those early camps. Um, just like, I don't know, we just bonded so well as a team. And even though we weren't the best and New Zealand often isn't the best, it was still like so much fun because she just created a good culture. So yeah, we... we I guess had like a training base up in Auckland. So I'd be traveling up and down to Auckland like Mm. three or four times a week. Um, And then through that cycle at the same time, she kind of pulled me into the under twenties because she was assistant coach in that as well. So played qualifiers with the under twenties when I was 16. Um, Yeah. So it was, it was pretty like scary to be honest. I think there was some like really good girls in that environment um, who I just like looked up to. They were more like my idols than, you know, people that you think, you're just going to go play with. Um, But yeah, I I kind of played really well at the qualifiers. They were happy. Then we had our under 17 world cup. So I went to that, um, was a starter in all the games, which was kind of like my goal, you know, playing alongside Daisy Cleverly 
um, who's obviously still going playing pro yeah, now. Playing, so yeah, going strong. You know, claim sure. to fame. Yeah. Seeing her on the screen now. I'm just behind a computer. Um, nah. So yeah, played with her, and then I guess later that year we so we had our World Cup. Then we had an under twenty tour to Brazil that same year. So went with that group, and then got picked for the under twenty World Cup as well. Um, so that was in Canada, which was pretty cool because it was like the lead-in for the Women's World Cup the following year. Yeah. So I guess we were kind of a, a trial, I suppose, playing at all the stadiums. Um, that was mm. when they had all the stuff around artificial turfs. And we were playing oh, on yeah. artificial turfs yeah. and like the US team just kicked off about it the following year. Um, but yeah, such a cool tournament. I went thinking I wasn't going to play any minutes, maybe like five minutes, you mm. know. Um, ended up getting a whole game against France who were like, I think they came second in the end like oh my god yeah they were it was we lost 4-0 um but it was the hardest game I've ever played in my life ever like nothing has beat that um I was just lucky or Katie Bowen was unlucky she got a real bad hematoma we didn't have another midfielder Hannah Carlson had a a concussion at the time so I was like shit I'm going on as he games up to the plate yeah basically (laughs) um and I was scared shitless um but yeah actually the the game went well I know Mm. we lost 4-0 but it was still like a good game we fought really hard it was kind of expected to lose yeah Um, for sure but we won our previous game we won the next game went through to the quarters so that was the only time during my age group stuff that we progressed into the yeah wait so what what year would this have been what year this was was 2014 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so okay. Canada 2014, um, we had beaten Paraguay and Costa Rica. Yeah. So our pool wasn't, like, really hard, but still, like, to progress through, we were, like, really happy with it. Um, and then we got knocked out 4-0 Nigeria in the quarters. Oh, <laughs> sent no. home. Um, but, yeah, I was, like, just stoked on that. Um, and then two years later, had another cycle with the 20s. Um, we actually had Leon Burney led that cycle with Maney. Um, which is funny now because I kind of work with them. Um, but, yeah, we, we did the same thing. We kind of had an Auckland base, but a lot of us had moved up to Auckland. I think yep. Tessa mentioned this in, like, a previous one. Quite a few of us were doing uni up there. Some yep. people were working. So it was, like, way better set up than that. Mm. You could just go to training as per usual. Didn't have to drive up and down all the time. Um, and then, yeah, we had our World Cup in PNG, which was not the best place for a Women's World Cup. Lots of cop cars, yeah. having to go everywhere. You're in a barred kind of hotel the whole time. Oh Can't gosh. go out. Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I think we got a bit of cabin fever between yeah, games. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. I was lucky enough to be a starter in that World Cup and to score a goal against the US, I think, was it's like my claim to fame. Still gets Absolutely. shown. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Still gets shown in the videos. That is a massive claim to fame. Oh yeah. my gosh. I think I was voted fourth. Like, they do, like, goal of the tournament. Yeah, yeah. They have 10 and you vote for them. So I think it was voted fourth for, like, goal of the tournament. So oh my that was, like, the best part. Even though I say I play shit in that game, like, I guess you still get a goal. And yeah. that's all people care about, isn't it? And against the US as well. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It was, yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, so I think the elation of that is, like, just such a special memory. Probably, like, one of one of my most special memories from my, my age group stuff. Um, and then I've, I've kind of missed out a bit, but I went away with the Ferns. The year before, two years before, yeah. So oh, just by the way, yeah. Well, no, I was just thinking we were like I had to go backwards, but yeah. That, that same year, I went to the twenties when I was sixteen. I, when I turned seventeen at the time, but I got called up to the Ferns, yeah, to go on tour with them to France and Norway. Um, so that was very scary. 
um, but a good experience. And I think my first kind of time getting paid yeah. for like to go on tour, right? Which at 17, you're pretty stoked about. Absolutely. And um, I mean, I mean, we were like chatting just before this and as you say, like getting to play with people you consider your idols mm. rather than your, like, you know, they're not just your teammates. Yeah. Like that must've been so special at that young age. Yeah. Special. And I just think it was scary. Like I was just <laughs> so scared. I was like a very shy, um, kind of player growing up there was a running joke when we were in 17s that I was the girl off pitch perfect that doesn't say anything oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the one yeah. that has that, that real quiet voice yeah she's just yeah. saying so they, yeah they, they, they'd say that was me and it wasn't until I got on the field yeah that I'd actually like be loud it's just off the field I was real quiet and it took me a while to kind of you know get the courage to speak yeah. and and whatnot so I think I went into that like a little bit in my shell kind of yeah. just observing and whatnot but the whole experience was amazing and then I guess I was just like remained in that squad through our under 20, next under 20 cycle and um, didn't get like a World Cup selection or Olympic. I think I was reserved for for the World Cup. or um, well, I don't even remember now. World Cup or the Olympics. One of them I was a reserve, um, <laughs> but like a non-traveling. Um, and then, yeah, basically we did that that World Cup in PNG mm. and then I was I was heading off to the States in the January. So yes. uh, it was a weird time. Usually they'd have the 20s in like August and people would go kind of the start of season for yeah. the August, like the start of the new year in America. Um, but because it was in November, a lot of us did like a year of uni in mm. New Zealand and then transferred to America, but we were going halfway through the year. So it was a bit of a hard transition um, to then go out there. But yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of brings me to the, I suppose the end of my New Zealand yeah. thing and then into the States. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we're like this. I first off, incredible career, like pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty amazing that you know we're able to get into all those squads at such such a young age, and that definitely. I mean, we've played like we've done a couple of trainings together, and you can see as soon as you get on the pitch, you're like, oh my gosh, like. As he knows how to play some footy. So you say that, and I just felt so rusty out there. You know, like I feel yeah, like I'm playing shame. No. We're just like, oh, hidden our hands. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, Do we no. even know what football is. Okay, so we were on a different page. <laughs> um, but yeah, and as you say, you then went to the states, which is, um, I think, what a lot of girls going through high school kind of have in the back of their minds mm-hmm. while they're playing if they're playing at that like higher kind of representative level is like can I get a scholarship to the states and I think there's a lot of information out there um about these scholarships and you know obviously a lot of people trying to sell them to these young girls because people can make a lot of money off them but there are some absolutely incredible stories such as like Daisy Cleverly, Hannah Blake like mm. you Michigan um, who have absolutely killed over in the States. And then you hear some other stories that, you know, people have it's maybe not been what they expected. So, yeah, do you want to just tell us through your experience at the States, how you found it, like, because it would be great to hear from someone who's been over there, obviously absolutely capable, capable enough to play at that high American collegiate level. You say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then, you know, now reflecting on it a few years after the fact – yeah, it'd be great to kind of hear your story and your experience over there. Yeah, so I suppose, first of all, I think the process for the States has changed a lot since mm. I was going through it. So I know we're only like, what, six, seven years ago that I would have gone. Um, but like now there's all these recruiting agencies and people yeah. putting all these clips together and like I that there just wasn't that 
Right. Okay. Like it, oh, I mean, there was players were doing that, but I was lucky enough that a school contacted me, so they would have seen me at. I think they saw me at the under seventeen World Cup. They contacted me like we're super interested in you. Um, we want you to come out on a, vid- a visit, like, and then we basically had zooms and stuff. And I looked up this school and I was like, holy shit! Like, they're like the top five in the country. Like, yeah. we have to go Wait, see yeah, this what, school. What school is so this? This is West Virginia University. So, okay, so top top ten, big ten NCAA. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we're they can they were in like the top ten out of yeah NCAA yeah. like rankings. Um, they were in Big Twelve conference, so quite a physical conference out in the states. If people know kind of the different conferences, um, but it's like East Coast big girls, strong, fast, physical game, right. which I was not too aware of at the time. Um, but I, when I looked at the school and I was like, shit, they have Kadisha Buchanan who now plays at Chelsea. There's yeah. a Canadian national team. Um, they had Ashley Lawrence also in the Canadian national team. Um, and then a few kind of up and coming players. And I was like, wow, like this looks amazing. We have to go mm-hmm. visit. So we like went on a visit facilities, incredible, like so much better than anything we have here. Even like New Zealand football level, you know, like yeah. their own facility, own training field that boys could not use. Gym, I don't know, there must have been 20 squat racks. Yeah, like, oh it was gosh. only for American football and women's soccer. Wow. We, um, it, they would be like, we fly private planes. Um, yeah, like, it's just next level. Oh, it's my like gosh. basically being on a pro team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I think I was just kind of like, wow, I can't, mm. I can't turn this down. Absolutely. Um, and just the degree that I wanted to do, like, they had exercise physiology, so that kind of aligned with it, and they put a real emphasis on, like, academics as well, which I liked in terms of it's not just you're going for football, like, you're getting mm. a degree too. Obviously, that's being paid for. I was yeah. going to be on a full scholarship. So in the end, I didn't really look at any other schools. I just, like, I was like, I have to go. Like, this this sounds like a dream. And when you when all you want to do at the time is be a pro footballer, like, yeah. you're thinking, well, I'm going to develop so well. Like, that's what they kind of told me. Like, we focus on development, um, look at the players we produce, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I basically signed with them actually quite late, I guess, for, like, normal. Sometimes they're signing kids, like, when they're 15. Oh, wow. But I would have been, like, already 18 at the time. Um, so yeah, signed with them and was ready to go out in the January 2017. So just following that under 20 world cup. So I went out there, um, straight away getting there. They were kind of like, we need to like, beef you up. Like you're really small. We need to beef you up. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how am I, <laughs> how am I meant to just beef up? You know, we train yeah. like five times a week, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, so I was straight away put on like a, you need to eat more, right. you need to gain like 10 kilos kind oh, wow. of thing. Yeah. Oh, like, gosh. yeah. I mean, I was a lot smaller than I am now. Um, but like I was still the fittest in the team. Yeah. Like one of, I was not the strongest or one of the strongest, but like I was strong for how big I was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they just had this perception of you need to be this size and to be able to compete kind yeah. of thing. Do you reckon that was like because of the conference they were in or like the university like that was just how they did things or like just America in general like Uh, bigger better faster stronger like yeah I think there is some perception of that in America like bigger mm. better faster but that league especially and then that coach right she is very much like those are the players she wants and she plays a physical game and I mean that's something I really regret is not looking into like how well how they played like what style of football because I was very much like pass move pass move yeah, ticky yeah. tacky kind of football they were like get it wide get down the wings 
cross it in goal. So right. you need speed, you need power, you know, yeah. and that just wasn't my game. Yeah. So I could see why they wanted me to like try and change physically, but like that was just never going to suit me. And mm. it's really hard. Um, I guess when you're doing all this training, if you're going to try and eat enough to put on 10 kilos, I don't know where that was going to happen or how <laughs> yeah. that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, the spring season was all right. Like I guess definitely kind of struggled as I think a lot of girls do with like homesickness and stuff, but I was getting game time. Like I was improving. We were doing really well in the gym and stuff. And then after I would have come back home um, and I think I'd already been thinking like, I don't know how much I enjoy soccer anymore. Like I was just kind of like a bit over it. Um, The environment's obviously very full on there. Like, they're, it's, they're just on at you all the time you're doing a lot of lifting it's mm. like hard to balance with school um and then I when I went back I had probably like lost a little bit of weight just because mm. I'd been doing like other training like triathlon stuff hadn't really touched a ball that much and they saw me and were just like you're not playing like oh, until gosh. yeah so then I was put on a real strict oh, like no. you need to gain a pound a week and if you don't, we cut back your training. Like, oh my god! This is like, yeah. So, I mean, there's. I definitely was like too small, yeah. and I had been struggling with like red S for a while, and they knew about that. But it was just like the protocol they went through, and this is everything in the the states. It's like to the extreme. Yeah. Um. So I think just not being used to that coming from New Zealand, you know, like just from a small town, yeah, just being thrown in the deep end um, with all these players and like asked, you have to do this. It's just like really demoralizing. Well, yeah, that like controlling environment you would just never find in mm, New Zealand yeah I guess I found that really challenging and oh, then absolutely. I wasn't getting any game time because of it um and I think in the end I was just like I don't I don't want to be here in the, anymore and I ended up going to the coach and being like do you even see me playing and she was like nah and I was like cool how do I transfer yeah kind of thing so I did end up transferring schools at the end of that year yeah. I mean we still went on to do NCAA and I think we got knocked out in like the round of 16 or something like we still did quite well. Yeah, um, I mean, it must have been, it must have taken a lot to go to the coach and ask that question because I know well, I mean, and it's hard to you always want to like think the best and be like, mm. "Oh, they like I am going to get game time." So like I guess what was your thought process? Was it just literally you were at the end of your tether and you're like, "I need to know." Yeah. I feel like I was getting like mucked around like um that you're getting like mixed messages and I was just Mm. like I'm kind of a direct person I'd rather just know just tell me straight like I was at the point where I was ready to take it I the emotion was gone now I was like I will transfer because I'm I don't want to be a bench player like that's not what I'm here for and some people will go to America and they don't mind sitting on the bench they just want to be part of a team but like I really don't like I want to be on the field I want to contribute um so when I went and I asked her and she said that I was just like cool like that's great that's I just needed an answer and that's fine I don't mind that answer yeah um and so yeah I was like I'll transfer and then see how it goes in terms of like football and I ended up transferring to like a small school in California yeah um who were way down like 200 something in the ranking so it's like a big drop yeah but the football they played was like way more fun the environment was good it was a small school California was cool yeah like there was all these other things that made it a lot better. Um, but unfortunately, when I was there, I broke my hand. 
yeah, like literally hadn't even played a game for them oh yet. Oh my god! And I, I was like, just I did a corner, slid to like keep the ball in, just put my hand down, snap. Ooh. We were like, what was that? Like woke up. I mean, woke up, stood up. Finger yeah. was like completely wonky. Oh um, yuck! Yeah, so I had to have surgery in the states. Um, that's why you get your insurance if you go to the states. Um, had to have surgery, use the insurance well, cost like $50,000 or something stupid. Oh, like good ridiculous. Lord. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at that point, I was like, nah, that's a sign like for me to stop. Like, I'd already mm. been thinking for now a year, do I even want to play football? And I was like, nah, like, I'm just, yeah, I'm ready to move on. Um, but I think like it was also just a good learning experience to see the difference in schools. Yeah. And so now when I like talk to young girls coming through, about looking at the states and stuff I'm like you need to look at different schools you need to look at their style of play you need to think about where you are in the country and what the culture is like because if Mm. I think of West Virginia the culture is so different to New Zealand yeah whereas California was like way more similar and I think everyone just was more down to earth you had beaches close like it just felt more like New Zealand the food is nicer yeah um yeah like when you transferred to that smaller school like and you say you know you looked And did you, like, look at their style of play and choose that skill specifically or did you have California in mind? And then when you say, like, look, what do you mean by look? Because I guess, like, a lot of girls will be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll look into it. And then, I don't know, like, how do you even find out about how – find out about how to actually play? Yeah. Like, do you just go on YouTube or – well, yeah, I think now the coverage is so much better in terms of, like, their games. You Mm. have access to watching the games. Um. I don't even know what, like, I just looked at a bunch of schools kind of that I thought would be a good option Mm. um, when I was transferring, and most of them were West Coast. I think I just liked the idea of being on the West Coast. It was more my vibe. Um, It was going to be more closer to home in general, like just the one flight, whereas I was doing like three flights to get to West Virginia. I think I'd looked into the conferences, and that's probably the best thing for players to do is, like, look at a conference and be like, how does this conference play? Because I think of Big 12, which is West Virginia, it's like the physical style, the aggressive play, big girls, strong girls, athletic girls. You look more at West Coast, you're getting actually really nice football. Look at Mm. like a UCLA, a Berkeley, uh, Georgetown's not West Coast, but like um, just some of the schools playing like the Pac-12 and stuff. It's just a lot more like the football we play here, I guess, or like the football you might see on a world stage where it is about passing and creating like areas of space and through balls whatnot um so I think the best way to do it is to look at conferences but then the school also has to like fit you and so I I think you have to go and visit to really like feel it so I was looking at like three schools when I went to transfer and I went to all of them and you could just like tell like you know like speaking with the girls with the coaches like it was so different to my experience when I went to see West Virginia and I think you sometimes have to think outside of wow, this is the best, like, this is yeah, amazing. Just, yeah. And have to think about what's best for you as a player because, I mean, if I took West Virginia's team, we would have beaten our national team. Like, you know, that's how good they were. And it's like, did I really need that environment? That level, yeah. You know, there was other environments that could have pushed me. Yeah. But I think we always just want the best. But sometimes, like, there's other things you need to consider mm. um, in terms of also your just mental well-being because, like, that will impact your performance as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, overall that journey, like a lot of lessons learned for me personally moving sure. forwards into like other careers. Um, and I guess it kind of set me up on the path I am now in some way, but also like so many lessons that I've tried to like 
pass on to other girls who are going through this process now. Yeah. Um, and to really take into consideration like all those factors, no matter what sport, like not even just football, like, you know, if you're going for rowing or swimming or, you know, mm. those are those are things to consider because it's hard and you're moving a long way from home. So you want it to be right. Um, so I think the only option for us was the States, but now there's so many different routes. Um, and I think as long as players kind of, know where they want to go like if they think about that bigger picture like where do I want to be in terms of do I want to be in the ferns or do I want to be a pro player like what's the best pathway for me to get there um I I think the other thing to take into account is obviously study because having something alongside your football I think is really good you know like we don't want to just be well I mean some people might just love (laughs) like football and think that's the only option but like I personally think it's great to have something else on the side it's an outlet from your football, yeah. but it's also just like good because you're not going to be an athlete forever. You know, oh, yeah. Even if you play till you're 30, you've still got a long time in the workforce. So I think the States will obviously provide more kind of free degrees alongside yeah. your football, which is really good. Um, I know there will be options in New Zealand with like prime minister scholarships, possibly for like higher level athletes. Um, but yeah, I guess even now with like the online study environment, it's great. Yeah. You know, you can be From so distance. flexible. You could play, play pro and study. And study at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. But, and I guess, like, as you say, like you need to figure out what's best for you. But I mean, when you're kind of 16, sitting down and having those conversations with yourself is pretty rough. And you don't really know how to do it because mm. you're 16, you're still learning who you are in the first place. And you've still got many years ahead of you of figuring out who you are. So like... As well, I mean, as someone, I mean, we're still pretty young ourselves. But do you have any tips for those like younger girls who are in that kind of age bracket who might be sitting down and having those conversations with themselves now? Like, how do you be? I mean, Jesus, it's a bit, bit of a deep question, but like, how do you be honest with yourself or actually be like, what do I want? Like, mm. what do I want to do here? Oh, that's a really hard question, and I think I said, I've said it a couple times recently. Like, it kind of sucks that we grow up. And have to make all our decisions at an age where we're like Literally. not mature enough. Because yeah. even like five years of maturity, to look back now and think about some of the decisions I made when I was 18, 19, like I would do it so differently. Absolutely. And I know you say, but I wouldn't because I learned so many things and that's all part of the process. Yeah. And I guess it's great now because if you choose a career, you're not stuck in that career like you might have been 50 years ago. Mm. Like you can obviously change things. Um but if you think about like an athletic career, you are on a timeline. Yeah. So I always just like to say, like, you have to think bigger picture, more about the why. Like, why do I do this? Like, if I think about football, like, and I'm like, I want to be a pro player, why? What is it that's driving me? And how do I let that dictate my decision rather than maybe, like, external things, like, because I want to look good or I want to do this? Because it's like... If you want to be an elite sport, you have to make a lot of sacrifices, like so many sacrifices. So you want to be doing it for the right reason. And you want that why to be big enough that on the days where you are not motivated, which might be a lot of the time, or, you know, it might not be a lot of the time, but like a fair amount, um, you don't want to get up for the 6am gym or you don't want to go to the training in the rain. Like that you have to have that why behind it that is going to drive you to do it anyway. Um, So I think, like if I think from my perspective, that why changed for me, kind of like I didn't have a why for football anymore. Mm. And that's, I think, why I moved away from the sport. Um, But for like for a player that's coming through now, I think that's the best way to kind of think big picture and like what is it that's driving me and what decisions can I make? Um, 
like with the information I have now, because that's mm, all you can do. Yeah. You can't look back in hindsight. Yeah. You have to just think, what's the best decision I can make now that's going to get me to where I want to be? Yeah. Um, and, and maybe like also just consider like what you value as a person, because I think that can also really dictate your decision in mm. terms of where you want to go. But it, it's so challenging. How does your football journey tie into what you do now, which is sports science and pretty interesting sports science because you're doing yeah. a PhD, you're doing some incredible research. Um, so, yeah, how did – because I think you mentioned your time in the States kind of influenced where you are now. Mm. So do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, I guess – so my – I suppose a lot of the, my time in the States was kind of dictated around my struggle with Red S, so it's relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, essentially – there was like a big period from maybe 17 to 23 where I didn't have a period. Um, and I think there's so much more information coming out about that now. But at the time, like they'd only kind of just termed, coined the term relative energy deficiency in sport back in like 2014. So it was really new oh, wow. when yeah. I was like having these issues. Oh, yeah, from like 2015. So it was literally the previous year that they'd kind of like come up with this concept and it wasn't really seen in football. So I think um, I went for quite a few years just real blasé about it. Like, mm. eh, it's not an issue. Like, it makes yeah. it easier. I was performing really well. Like, I was definitely, like, the fittest. I was running amazing. Mm. Um, and it wasn't till kind of further down, like, probably three years down the line that I was starting to really see health consequences in terms of my bone density was just really bad. Um, and that was kind of the thing that, shocked me like holy shit I need to do something about this because yeah. I've just been just way too blase um and also just like mental health struggles around that like I think the anxiety even some kind of depression associated with not having estrogen mm. is it's like it's one of the biggest factors and that was just making my life miserable so I think there was like two kind of things that made me actually do something about my kind of issues with reds um and yeah, it kind of got me, I guess, involved into the area in terms of like a research perspective as well. Um, and I started to recover. As I started my like recovery journey, um, I started, yeah, just getting heavily involved in the research. Like, what can I do to try and get better? And then that kind of progressed into, I suppose, like my academic space as yeah. a, in sports science. Like I was studying a, a Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science at the time. So I guess I kind of had the underlying knowledge of physiology and whatnot um and as I started to recover I just became like really passionate about the area and like what can we do to prevent people like myself getting to that stage in the first place you know yeah. like stopping players from getting into a state of low energy availability um and having these kind of health and performance consequences both acutely and long term mm. um, and there just wasn't any education around it well I was going to say like the fact that I mean the term got coined in 2014 mm. and then like like I've never heard of this and like, even now even now oh, okay like, and it, well, but, <laughs> yeah. I mean the education around it and I guess around like periods in general but also yeah. like the health issues that females face in sport like there's just no mm. awareness or like easy to access information like you're actively have to go searching for yeah. it and you're not going to unless it personally affects you mm. or you know someone that it personally affects mm. so like having you talk about this first off absolutely incredible and thank you for sh like sharing this with us you're doing phd now 
which yeah do you want to talk us through that because that's some pretty interesting stuff yeah so I guess my PhD is kind of like stemmed from my master's so Mm. if I just like go slightly back just to just to tell you what I did in my master's so I I I looked at this topic of low energy availability, but in the football ferns and the under 20s, we wanted to get an idea of like prevalence rates in football because it's just not really looked at. Mm. We'd, we'd look a lot like researchers looking at endurance athletes and kind of people doing a lot of a lot of volume of exercise, I suppose. And I feel like team sport athletes were kind of shoved to the side of it. So we did that. We did like a question, bunch of questionnaires. It was like quite a simple study design. But anyway, out of that, we found that 59.1% of participants were at risk of low energy availability, oh, wow. which I was oh like, my gosh, yeah. yeah, I was really surprised about. I was like, that is so high. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, we found that people with like mood disturbances, like there was a, a correlation between mood disturbance and their risk of low energy availability. So I guess one of the key findings from that study was that we could possibly use mood as an indicator of whether a player is kind of moving into that state of low energy availability. Wow. Um, okay. And like their risk of reds goes up then. Yeah. Um, and then also that those with menstrual disturbances were 2.25 times more likely to be at risk. Oh my so gosh. there was a, obviously a real link between like menstrual cycle irregularity and their risk of low energy availability. Um, and then, I mean, this wasn't like a key finding, but just the level of nutrition knowledge was so low. It was like 40% or something oh, wow. on it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and you think in a high-performance yeah, environment. Yeah, professional athletes. Yeah, access I mean, to nutritionists. Like, yeah, but it's interesting you say like, um, you know, you, you, you chuckled and you're like, it's a fairly simple study design. Mm. And yet you found all, this, all of yeah. this stuff out with a, yeah, quote, unquote, fairly simple. It's like, mm. well, then why hasn't this I mean, we know why it hasn't ever been done before because mm. everyone's always tossed female athletes to the side. But, like, it just further proves that point of, like, there's so much waiting there to just be found out if yeah. we just invested the resources. Yeah, and I think no one had really looked at it. Like, mm. there'd been, like, a few studies in kind of the WSL. Um, but just to, like, get this data, I was like, I want to just find out more. Like, mm. what 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 is actually happening to these players' menstrual cycles, like, in a season or throughout the year? Or, you know, there were so many questions that, like, came yeah. out of that unanswered. Um, and when I say simple study design, I guess I mean, like, it's not, like, your gold standard, like, we're doing all this, like, yeah, food yeah. diary analysis. Yeah. There was no, like, real objective measurement. So there is kind of the the subjective, the bias from the selection bias, and they are answering questionnaires and whatnot. Um, but... Yeah, so essentially from that, I I was lucky enough to get a PhD scholarship and I was like, great, like I'm going to take this, even though I'm working, I've been offered this role at the, the academy, like it just fit in so well with like what I wanted to research and I was like, we can use the academy and possibly the first team space as like participants mm. and I can kind of double up on you know what I'm doing every day in yeah. terms of collecting all this data like we're collecting all their training load um and and then incorporate some menstrual cycle stuff and then I guess it's just um kind of working out what we wanted to take from that and I'm lucky enough to be working with 
a team of four supervisors. So four oh, wow. people. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So my my master's supervisor, and then I, um, another guy, Andy Foskett, who's kind of worked in and around New Zealand football. Um, and then I have two supervisors in the UK, one of whom works at Chelsea, and she does all their menstrual tracking stuff at Chelsea wow. and with the lionesses. Oh. So I was kind of fangirling when yeah, I first absolutely. met her. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. I was like, hey, um, <laughs> Georgie, like, could we maybe just have a catch up and just chat about Chelsea? Like, can we yeah. just like maybe chat as like friends or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just to gossip. Because you see Sam Kerr every day, right? Like, <laughs> nah. um, so, yeah, it's been real cool to like hear about those pro environments. Um, but essentially, like, what we're going to be doing is. I've bought in like a tracking system for menstrual cycles within our academy. Yep. So a lot of that stuff was like quite new for the girls. We had to educate them around the menstrual cycle, how it could affect their performance, um, the risk of low energy availability, how we can prevent that. So there was like all that stuff. And now they're working off an app called Fitter Woman. Mm. Um, and essentially they do like an entry every day so I can see where they are in their cycle. Right. And we'll use that data alongside our training data, wellness data um, to kind of map out how their cycle might change throughout the season. So in terms of like, if you think you have a menstrual, like you have a period of bleeding every yeah. 28 days is like normal, like 21 yeah. to 35 days. We might see players that have it every 21 days. And then we get to the end of the season. It's like 35 days and it's like getting longer. And that's right. kind of an indication of something's not quite right. Yeah. So we're trying to put together like those correlations. Is there something happening in terms of is training load increasing? And that's why that's happening. Or is external stress increasing? Mm. Are we not kind of getting sufficient nutritional intake and trying to find those like key things and variables that could be causing changes and possibly putting an athlete at risk of injury, of illness, yeah. of consequences down the line, yeah. um, performance detriments. So there's so many things. Um, and I guess we're kind of trying to create like a database of, mm. of what these symptoms and changes to cycles might look like. I guess there's there's research out there around um, like how performance might fluctuate at different phases depending on different levels of hormones and possibly symptoms might change. Um, but I think the menstrual cycle is so individual. Like mm. everyone is so different and it's really hard to make generalized findings. Um, but what we're kind of trying to see is what are those key determinants that are putting athletes at risk of changes that are possibly going to impact performance and health. Because I guess yep. the biggest thing, like if, if there's a female athlete or footballer listening, they're going to think maybe not so much of it the health, but like if it impacts my performance, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. So um, like kind of linking the two with the performance and the menstrual cycle. Um, and they're like, yeah, it, it's just, I guess it's tricky um, because – the more in depth we go, the more time it takes, mm. the longer it takes. Um, so we're actually at the point where we're trying to do a study where we'll be able to see hormonal profiles of the athletes, like the actual day-to-day -day changes in estrogen oh and progesterone. Gosh. And that could be, it could be like the first time we've ever seen this in like football and sport and exercise study. Um, so it could be like really new research yeah. and could be really cool. Um, but I guess we're kind of still at the early stages of things, but like the direction it's heading, it's going to provide an amazing database for mm. what, what actually is the purpose of menstrual tracking in football? What can we do about these changes in terms of how can we manipulate training load recovery nutrition so that we keep athletes healthy and performing at their best. That's yeah. like kind of the ultimate goal, right? Is that we can provide guidelines or provide, um, I suppose outcomes that influence future research 
um, and more avenues to go down in terms of improving the health and performance of female footballers. Yeah, well, and is incredible quite frankly like you talking about this I'm absolutely I'm sitting here with my jaw on the floor because it's just like amazing to hear but also at the same time quite frightening to know that like this stuff has never really been done before mm. even at that professional level um but I mean you just mentioned like health and well-being but also you know injuries to prevent injuries so we've seen like a lot recently with Arsenal specifically but women's football in general like a lot of players out with ACL injuries mm. and there's you know rumors swirling that people think it might have something to do with the menstrual cycle so like how I mean to me like one plus one is not equaling two right now in my own head so do you want to yeah like how how does that how do they impact each other so mm. how does the menstrual cycle have an impact on a little band at the front of my yeah. knee that's a big question. That is a hard question to answer. Um, I mean, even when those ACE, like when Leah Williamson did her ACL, I was just like going back through the research, like looking at, you know, what have we done in terms of ACLs in the menstrual cycle? Are there like clear findings on specific times of the cycle? Um, I feel like right now, all we're kind of certain of is that ligament laxity changes throughout the menstrual cycle. Um, and there could be a correlation between ligament laxity and risk of ACL rupture. Okay, I'm going to pause you. For like people who wouldn't touch science with a 10-foot mm. pole, what's ligament laxity? I guess like how kind of loose your ligaments are. Right. Like they're more kind of, you have more movement through your joints and probably like a greater range of motion mm. um, at certain pe time periods, most, mostly when estrogen is high. Right, okay, um, so levels of estrogen increase. Yeah, ligament laxity. Okay, which so that, is why the yeah. ACL goes. It's not actually anything to do with the ACL. Well, itself. no, no, no. This is. Oh, a, right. I'm <laughs> not saying this is not like straight up like yeah, that is the science, reason. This but, is just a plausible idea right, that's come okay. up in research. Right. That they see ligament laxity changes and the structure of the ACL could be altered and that could increase an athlete's risk of ACL. Right, okay. But... I guess research is somewhat saying like one thing in terms of that, but then we're still seeing players do the ACL at varying times of the month. Yeah. So at the moment, I don't think we can say for certain anything that there's a correlation between the menstrual cycle and um, ACL rupture, but like there's so many things from a, a female standpoint that need to be looked at in terms of that. Cause obviously we know, well not obviously, but we know females are like up to six times more likely to rupture their ACL than males. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest things is obviously that Q angle. So the hips are wider in females and it creates a sharper angle down to the knees, which is going to increase their risk of rupture just with all the cutting and change. So a lot of those ACLs that we're seeing, they're all non-contact. It's not yeah, even it's like not, someone's... Like, yeah. yeah, they're on the other side of the pitch, the mm. ball, and then they're just on the ground. And yeah. you're like, wait, wait, what's, what's going on? Yeah, um, but I think... Yeah, unfortunately, we just like can't draw any conclusions right now. And that's why everyone's like calling for more research. But yeah. then there is so much stuff around um, like research has been done around the FIFA 11 and things and like warm up protocols that reduce risk of, of injury. Um, so there's that stuff. But I mean, some of the ideas we've been coming up with, and this is just me chatting and just spinning yarns. Yeah. So like <laughs> some of the things I've talked about with players at training and like even Katie, who's been on the pod, um, like... I guess this idea 
that the women's game is so fresh. Like yeah. if you think about the men's game, like we just haven't been as around as long. Um, and so as the game's kind of improved, we've got more professional leagues, players are playing way more minutes, training loads going through the roof. And it's like, are we actually compensating this change with resources? Mm. You know, like if we think of the men's game, they've probably got like bloody 10 massage therapists and like 10 oh, physiotherapists, yeah. five sports scientists, you know, yeah. you'll go to like, even just me in the academy, like I'm the only sports scientist across the female side. Yeah. So I think it's like the resources maybe aren't coming alongside the increase in training load, game intensity, the number of matches players are playing. Like 25% of the Ballon d'Or nominees had done an ACL. Five out of 20. Like, Ridiculous. Yeah. But it also, it, it kind of indicates like, is it those players that are playing international and they're yeah. playing club? So could it be a training load issue? You know, mm. exposure. Um, to matches so these are all like ideas that people are throwing around yeah um, but I think the biggest thing that's coming from it is that we just don't understand the female athlete enough yeah um, and there there's just a need for more research and more emphasis on specific female interventions and mm. like considering the female in terms of their training load their nutrition their recovery like we are not small men you know yeah. that's well, the thing yeah and I think it's, it's funny you say that because I was doing a little bit of research before we jumped on here and I was reading an article and um, oh, I can't remember her name, but a sports scientist was saying that of all the ACL studies that had been done, only mm. 6% had been done, including women in the studies. The mm. rest had, were all male studies. I think that might be sports science in general. In general. Yeah, it was it? like, yeah, which is uh, yeah. even worse. 6% <laughs> of sports science research is in females. Yeah, like it, which is just a shocking statistics. Yeah. But, you know, we and you're saying it, and like Beth Mead, when she did her ACL, she's like, there needs to be more research done into it. Like, we need to know more about female athletes. But, like, what's actually required for people like you to mm. be able to do that research? Because, yeah. obviously, like, money, resources, support. But, like, how do we get that for the women's game and, like, women's sport in mm. general? And from your perspective as someone who's, like, doing the research currently, like, what would make it easier for more people to get into this avenue and actually look at female athletes? Yeah. Well, I think research on female athletes is always like tricky because you have to consider the menstrual cycle. Mm. So I think for so many years, they've kind of been pushed to the side because it just makes things difficult because we're like, but there could be a hormonal fluctuation that's impacting this finding, you yeah. know? So it's harder. Like it's going to cost more probably. It's going to require more resources. But I think like if we think of football specifically, like the women's game is growing. Mm. There's more interest. There's going to be more research. Like this, just like the TV coverage on this high profile players doing, having these big injuries is going to drive more research. So I think, yes, it's a bad thing that they've done this. Like I'm sad to see all these players missing the world cup, but I think it's good for the sport and that it's going to drive more research. Um, I also think like, I'm lucky enough to be in on research and also a practitioner. So I can kind of see it from both sides. And I think we don't want to be doing research where we're getting findings that we can't even apply in a practical sense. So mm. like if I think of an academy, um, this is like in an academy, we have the opportunity to work on players' movement patterns from a young age, which is going to stick with them for life. If I think of our, our under 15 group, they don't, when they come in, they don't move that well. So mm. that's like our opportunity to correct those patterns, to do correct landing, deceleration, acceleration, all those things that are going to yeah. affect their risk of knee injuries or other injuries. 
Um, so I think from the research, we have to actually get practical findings that yeah. we can apply to settings, to academies, to first teams, you know, um, that are actually going to make a difference moving forward because we can do research, but if it, if it can't be applied, there's yeah. no point, you know. So we need to invest in the right areas that we're actually going to get takeaways that we can bring back into the, into the youth. Um, and also into those pro environments in terms of how do we manage load effectively? How do we kind of maybe alter the match schedule to reduce the risk of injury? Do we need bigger squads? You know, it mm. could be simple questions like that. Do we yeah. need bigger squads so that players can rotate and they're not playing two matches every week? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there's so many avenues we could go down. But like in like the simplest way, it's like we just need research that is going to bring practical findings. Yeah. As you say, there's a lot more coverage now. Like the women's game is growing. So, like, how can we encourage these discussions around injuries and menstrual cycles and investing in it without scaring a bunch of players off at the same mm. time? Because I mean, I know like every time I go out on the field on a sad day, I do have to take a second beforehand to be like, okay, don't think about the six ACL injuries that yeah. have been done in the past six months, type yeah. of thing. That's a really good point to bring up because I think the more we see it or the more these young girls are seeing it, they're like, oh, that could be me, mm. you know? Um, and I was actually having a discussion with one of the sports scientists who works in the WSL and he was like, honestly, like I struggle because players come to me and ask like, am I at higher risk at this point? And he's like, I don't, I can't even give you an answer because there's no mm. research to support that. Yeah. So I think being able to like, like if we could do research that shows like at certain points you are at high risk and then having interventions that we do to kind of mitigate the risk would be good. Um, but like I think as long as practitioners are educating players on the menstrual cycle, how it could maybe impact risk of injury, um, they're aware of that. And then just like proper movement quality, proper warm-ups like emphasizing those things and the things that players can control yeah is like the biggest thing because sometimes anatomically players are just at high risk of acl yeah it was interesting you bring up that point of like things you can control because ultimately there is that point of like you know well we've talked about a lot of them are non-contact but sometimes you might just be hit wrong mm. in a tackle yeah. and like that is not something you can control so exactly like, I guess, yeah, it is a good point to point out, like, ground yourself in that. Yeah. Like, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And if you do it right, then, yeah. like, you're doing well. Yeah, and I think one of our, our our head physio at the Phoenix, he does a good job at, like, edu educating the players on their controllable areas from mm. a physio perspective and, like, prehab and rehab and that side of things. And I think if we can just kind of empower players to do what they can as a player to make sure they don't, or they minimize their risk of injury as much as possible. Like that's all you kind of can do. Yeah. Um, hopefully research progresses. Hopefully we get more resources in the women's game. I think that the TV coverage and everything, like it's just, it's blowing up, you oh, know, the game is just growing at an incredible rate. And I think all of this will just continue to progress over the next years, like next 10 years. I, I, would love to see where we're at in 10 years time oh, it's honestly it's so exciting yeah and yeah it's like amazing to be like yeah witnessing it all happen kind of at this age where I know there is a future in it as well mm. um I mean speaking about all of this and like all of your advice that you've given and everything you've spoke to today players can actually access this themselves through your business that you have Izzy Coombs coaching mm. tell us a bit about that shameless plug like ah. just go for it um yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess like I set that up 
um, initially more from like a coaching side, but I think as like I got more into the female athlete specific stuff, like it's really focused around the female athlete. And honestly, a lot of the stuff I do is just to try and increase awareness of these topics. And so a lot of my information is available free, like, you know, through my Instagram. Um, there's like so many posts around the menstrual cycle and just general female athlete topics um, around nutrition, strength, what you can be doing as an athlete, as a female athlete specifically to kind of optimize your health and performance. Um, and I guess that's the biggest thing, like kind of my wife as he comes coaching is like optimizing female athlete health and well-being for performance um so being able to like do that um practically in like a phoenix setting in the new zealand football environment but then working individually with players as well like i i have done some individual stuff and then i provide a bunch of free resources on my website you can get my recipe book which is like available. Looks great, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, had a, um, I, had a, I had a little look at it. it looks yeah, amazing. there's like a free download as well, like heaps of snacks and things yeah. that players can get. So, yeah, I mean, I always love when players message me or just female athletes in general message me asking for advice. Like, mm. I feel like I can be useful. So, it, and I mean, that's a great point as well to highlight here. Like, it's not just we're not just talking about football players. Here. No, it's like, like female, female athletes because athletes, you're an amazing triathlete as well. Um, Maybe not at the moment, but. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so yeah, what, what's the website called and what's the Instagram? So Instagram is at Izzy Coombs Coaching, real simple. Yeah. And it's just IzzyCoombsCoaching.com. So nothing <laughs> too <laughs> complicated. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, I just say like, if you direct message me on Instagram, I will reply. You know, yeah. if you email me, I will reply. Like, um, I always love to chat to female athletes who are struggling that I like want advice about something. Like I'm always happy to help. Um, but yeah, there's there's a bunch of resources on there, and I think just spreading education is is kind of my main goal. Um, and even going into like organisations, I've done a few like teams and going in and doing chats around this stuff, like a seminar um, to give some baseline education has been has been really fun as well. So mm. heaps of stuff out there, but yeah, always always available to contact. Amazing. Well, and yeah, like absolutely amazing to have people like you putting that information out there for free as well. Because yeah, we. It's so desperately needed and there's mm. just not enough out there. Um, on that shameless plug, we'll probably wrap it up there because it's been a pretty pretty amazing conversation and I've learned so much in this. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you talk about Impact education. one person. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about education in the past hour. I've definitely been educated. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your research. I'm so excited to see what you do in the next few years with both the Phoenix, the New Zealand team, and also this PhD that you've got going on. Like, I'm going to be holding out those results at the end of it. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure to be here. And I honestly, like, I just love kind of being able to educate as many people and just, like, spread the word. I think that everyone knows about this because I talk about it all the time and I read it all the time and like I'm just in it but really there's so many people that just haven't like you know you say you haven't even heard of like Red S mm. so just being able to educate more people get on platforms like this and just kind of spread the word is really cool so I'm thankful that you're doing this stuff and I think it should make a big difference or hopefully well yeah I mean yeah you are definitely going to make a big difference <laughs> um, but yeah once again like thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to episode 6 um, appreciate you listening and yeah tuning in each week um tune in again next week for episode seven cheers